Well, hello, everybody. I hope you are having a fantastic week. I cannot believe that we are getting so close to Thanksgiving, which Thanksgiving is probably my favorite day of the entire year. I love getting together and hanging out with family, and I love getting to watch football, even though my team is terrible this year. And I love getting the chance to um, eat some food and drink some good drinks and just have a great day. And knowing that Christmas season is on the other side of that helps as well because I'm a super big Christmas nerd. But just glad to have everybody on the, uh, the episode today. Uh, for those of you that are listening for the first time, uh, this is Corey Baker, and you are listening to the Chasing Better podcast. It is a weekly uh, gathering where we all strive to become better, and we, we really want to uh, talk about topics that add value and one thing that is certain is that we live in a, in a complicated world, and, and I am certainly not um, afraid to discuss topics that are relevant and necessary and, um, and real. You know, we had a discussion about race a couple of weeks ago, and today I have a good friend on that is going to be sharing uh, some, uh, some of her challenges, and I know that there are some people out there that uh, feel this, and you know, for those of you that don't know, uh, I'm a health and wellness coach, and we have clients all over the United States that um, are, are wanting to be healthy when it comes to uh, food. And one of the things that we have learned is that body image and uh, just how people view food can be a challenge. And uh, specifically with, uh, with girls, I know that there, I, I raised two girls. And I know that uh, body image is a big deal. And as a result of that, and, and as a result of this, this pedestal and this, this image that we try to, and this box that we try to get uh, the female gender to be into, um, it can create a lot of issues. And, and along with that uh, comes uh, some disorders and some things that have to do with unhealthy habits. And uh, today I'm, I'm honored to have Carrie Peterson on and we're just gonna have a discussion. And Carrie, I'm so blessed to have you. I, I don't even like using that word blessed, but I just did. So I can't take it back now. Um, I'm so glad to have you on today. I know we've, we've uh, kind of, we, we knew each other a long time ago and recently just been, been reconnected. We live in the same town, which is cool. Yeah. But um, yeah. welcome to the podcast. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Well, uh, I know that you have just a, a lot to say and you have, you have a podcast uh, of your own, which we'll talk about in just a, a little bit, but maybe just bring us up to speed a little bit. Um, maybe tell us your story. We, I love hearing people's stories and I want to hear your story and just how you grew up and, and what that led to. And, uh, and then we'll just have a discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll say at the beginning, I'm in the process of writing my memoirs and, um, and when I say memoirs, I mean a book. And you've actually been a huge inspiration, just you know, knowing somebody who followed that desire, who had a message to share and shared it. You've been a huge inspiration and I will be thanking you in my intro. Um, but I, my story is extremely complex and it's hard to try to really sum it up in 10 minutes, um, but I can. There's just so much to it and there, they are, um, it entails things that people aren't talking about. And um, my struggle with mental illness, uh, specifically binge eating disorder, which um, is an actual eating disorder in the DSM-5, which is the most recent release of the um, DSM, the Diagnostical and Statistical Manual of um, Mental Disorders or Mental Health. 
So my earliest memories, eating food, binging on food, um, binge eating disorder is where you eat large, um, abnormally large amounts of food multiple times a week for multiple months. Um, there is more criteria, specific diagnostic criteria, but um, that was how I experienced it. And my earliest memories um, binging were at four years old. I remember it's my first, one of my first memories ever. I remember being sick on the couch because I had eaten the vegetable soup that my mom made that night. And I just kept getting more and more and more. Um, I had to push a chair up to the stove to get it. And I remember like having to set the ladle down and set the bowl down so I could get off the chair and get the bowl. Like I, it was, it was my little four-year-old brain trying to get more food. And I ate so much that I felt sick. And, um, I, hated throwing up. The difference between binge eating disorder and bulimia is you don't, you don't throw up or exercise um, excessively, which if you do that, it's not considered binge eating disorder. But I, I had this experience with food and it was largely a response to stress in my life. But I had no words for that. I just knew that I ate a lot and it made me feel better. Um, at the end of a binge session, it made me feel terrible. I mean, absolutely worthless and gross and disgusting. But I, again, I didn't have words for that as a kid. Um, I didn't even really realize it was a problem until I was 18 years old. And I'll get to that in a moment. But the reason that nobody else saw it around me was one, I would binge in private. Um, I don't think that was ever a conscious choice. I just, when I was alone and sad and stressed, I would eat. Um, kind of the whole chicken and the egg thing. Like I, it's not that I was trying to get alone um, to binge. I just binged when I was alone, but I was also raised with a mother um, who was a dietitian, And so she knew about nutrition and she taught it to us. She wanted us to understand how to feed our bodies well. And um, I, I like how you addressed like body image for women because that was part of it. Um, you know, we were we, I, was in, I was raised in a home with five women, um, you know, four little girls and one adult woman. And we were raised in the Bible Belt where women are quiet and pretty, like that you get married and your purity matters. And that's, that, that's unfortunately kind of pretty much it. And so um, body image absolutely mattered. And I noticed that I occasionally was bigger than my other friends. I had these little friends everywhere. And I think there was a level of dysphoria there, body dysphoria. Because when I look back at pictures, I really wasn't, I mean, it might've been a little chunky around puberty, but it's, I was not overweight, mm -hmm. um, but I felt big and I medicated with food. So that was my life. I mean, it was my whole life. I would binge, I'd go through two seasons of binging and then I diet because I knew how to diet. I was 11 years old the very first time I dieted. Wow. And um, I remember opening the pantry and like the thought in my head, I remember, I remember like where the food was on the shelves, what food I was looking at. I had the thought in my head, if I eat less, I'll be smaller and then mm -hmm. people will like me. Right. Um, so that, I mean, that thought alone just kind of identifies, I, I had strong, um, a strong ineptness at connecting emotionally with a lot of people. Um, definitely in my family, but my friends too. I, I thought that if I was thinner, that I would connect more easily with people. And, um, you know, at 11, that's around puberty. So it was definitely, my body was changing and mm -hmm. I'm sure that that only made dysphoria stronger, but the binge eating had always been there. So I remember that first diet 
And I, I don't know, I don't know how many pounds I lost, but I remember seeing, um, I think 99 pounds on the scale and just being elated. Like I was so happy that I was down to two digits again. And that was definitely the, um, the birthplace of returning back to dieting after binging. Um, I was aware of my body weight and I knew what a number on a scale meant, um, whether it was on a food scale, measuring how much food I was eating or, you know, a body scale measuring my weight. So that, that was my life. Um, and it, unfortunately dieting only made the binging worse because then it became this really heavy pendulum and I'd diet and lose 10 pounds, but I'd be extremely hungry. And so then I'd binge and I'd feel amazing amounts of shame. And then I would diet again, thinking, um, you know, that would make things better, especially with my personal connections. And it didn't. So then I had all sorts of, um, you know, cognitive dissonance because even though I was smaller and I was getting more attention, I wasn't necessarily connecting uh, the way I'd hoped. And again, keep in mind, I don't have any words for any of this growing up. These are all just yeah. feelings. Um, so I, I, you know, I diet and I binge and I diet and I binge. And that was my whole life until I was 18 years old. Um, and I was actually at master's commission, you know, where you and I met right. um, at the discipleship discipleship school down in Florida. And I remember opening the doors of the pantry that that happened a lot. I had like aha moments opening doors of pantries. Um, I was opening the door of the pantry to get something to eat. And I don't think it was going to be a binge either, but I wasn't hungry. And, um, you know, all of us eat emotionally. I think it was just one of the first times I recognized like, I am not hungry and I'm going to food and this is not necessarily going to end just when I have that snack. Like that, that kind of thought came to my head and not just that, but I was, um, very, very, very devout in my faith and my faith had given me a great deal of belonging that I did not feel I had gotten from the people, my family and friends around me. Um, I was very, very, very lonely and filled with shame growing up and the Lord filled that for me. Um, and so I remember opening those pantry doors and thinking, I felt like the Lord spoke to me saying, you are not hungry. You are looking to satisfy your soul with food and you need to satisfy it with me. Mm-hmm. And that moment was very pivotal for me because it was the moment that I realized this wasn't, this wasn't normal. Like it wasn't normal at all. Other people around me weren't eating the way that I ate. Um, I knew that the dieting was not going to satisfy me that people could identify and tell me was wrong, but the binging people did not recognize it at all because I wasn't overweight. Um, and so no one ever called me out on it or asked me about it. So I have, I had this epiphany at the pantry when I'm 18 years old. And from that point on, I just fell into the rabbit hole of research of, um, just anything anybody had written on diet and nutrition for sure, but also inappropriate eating behaviors. Um, at the time when I was 18, binge eating disorder was not in the DSM. And so, and the, I mean, the internet 12 years ago was not what it is today. And so right. it's not like I could just Google information on eating too much and binge eating disorder would come up at the beginning. Um, you know, I, I just learned more about it. I started to learn that other people experienced the same cravings to eat and keep eating, but I still didn't exactly have words for it. It was just kind of realizing I wasn't alone in this. And yes, it wasn't normal. Um, one of the hardest parts, uh, no, the hardest part for sure was when I would tell people and 
they didn't believe me or they didn't see what I was trying to explain. And you have to keep in mind, I was going to doctors. I went to three different doctors, one of whom specialized in eating disorders. And I told them exactly what I was feeling. And they were like, no, this isn't it. Like there's, there might be some dysphoria there. There might be some like controlling your eating, but I don't, if you had binge eating disorder, you would, you would look like this or, or there would be other factors that, um, that you don't seem to have. And so, um, even when I did hear binge eating disorder and I was like, yes, that's what I have. I had experts telling me I didn't have it. And then I would share it with family and friends kind of just like lightly because if experts didn't believe it, I mean, why should anybody else believe it? And, um, I, I shared the struggle in the eating and also just the struggle of feeling alone and feeling like I didn't have, um, I didn't have the connections that I was looking for. And, um, I, I shared it timidly. I was never very forthright about it because I wasn't confident in my own struggle. Like I, I had consistently convinced myself because I couldn't convince anybody else that maybe this wasn't my problem. And uh, that was never helpful. Um, friends and family, you know, they'd shake their head and they'd give me a hug and they'd say they were sorry, but uh, no one ever went looking for other information. No one ever um, made me feel like, oh yeah, I see that. Like I see that and I understand it. Never once did anyone see my struggle, even when I was trying desperately to um, to identify it and get some sort of validation. So. I'm getting to the end of the binge eating. Um, When I was 26 years old, so from 18 until I was about 22, I tried to figure out what the problem was. At around 22, I identified it as binge eating disorder, and I didn't feel 100% confident that that was my diagnosis because healthcare professionals told me that wasn't the issue. Um, But then for the next about four years, I was pregnant with my second daughter and my binge eating disorder was the worst it had ever been. And I was pregnant. So I was supposed to get fat and gain weight, but you know, it was the dysphoria part didn't hold so heavily because I I gain a lot of weight in my pregnancies, even when I'm not binging. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I was in a several month long period of just binging consistently with her. And I was also the strongest in my faith I had ever been. Um, I had leaned in so heavily to the Lord in all of my pain and in all of my shame and in all of my loneliness and disconnection that I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was getting from people. And um, that caused a massive amount of dissonance for me. Um, I ended up having like a week long quiet time in my bathroom at the apartment in Beaumont Farms, just down the road. Um, And I essentially just, I pulled out a journal and it started as a prayer journal, just begging the Lord, like with my whole heart, just like, show me what you want me to do, because I understand this is the thorn in my flesh. Like, this is just something you've let me carry. And I trust you. I trust that this is for, you know, for your glory. And I trust that this is all going to turn out okay, but I'm also very sick and I can't keep doing this. Nobody sees it. And I'm alone in this and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And it was just this state of massive desperation. And, um, I, I didn't intend for this to be a seven day quiet time. Um, my husband, Kurt would tell you I was in that, I locked myself in that bathroom and did not come out. But when I had finished writing what started as a prayer journal, it was my first memoir. It was from, it was my feelings and my feelings of shame and my feelings of pain and loneliness from my first memory at four years old um, with the vegetable soup binging for the first time that I could recall up until that point, 26 years old, 
still binging pregnant, like knowing how dangerous this was for my mental health, for the health of my child I'm carrying. Um, I, I broke, like I just absolutely broke. And I, I had a serious faith crisis at that point. And I won't go into that because that is the content of my memoir at this point. And I'm still sorting through that. But I, I, I realized so much of my struggle and to, to be seen, um, to be understood and, um, not finding that, not finding that connection with people, not finding that connection with my family of origin, just feeling so alone and so isolated is actually what was perpetuating this binge eating mm-hmm. disorder. And the shame that I listened to in all of that, like every time I would binge, I'd say, tomorrow I'm not going to do that. Tomorrow I'm going to eat better. Like tomorrow I'm going to stick to a healthy diet and feed my body what it needs. Um, it, most of the time that wasn't starving it. it. Most of the time it was eating a really balanced diet. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, I, but, but I'd always fail. I'd go, I'd fall back into the binging again. And and for whatever reason, at the end of this seven day period, I was like, I'm not picking up the shame anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I am not going to say, of course, this is what happens. It's because you are, um, I don't want to say a sinner. Again, the, the memoir, I'll talk more about the faith, faith crisis, but sure. I thought to myself, I picked up this food because I am, I, I in and of myself without Christ, I am gluttonous basically is what it turned into. Like, of course I have this problem because it's spiritual and I'm trying to fulfill needs I have outside of Christ, but I wasn't doing that. Mm-hmm. I was 100% trying to fulfill my needs in my faith and in my relationship with the Lord. And, and it perpetuated a massive amount of shame because of it. And um, so well, it's like the harder you tried, the worse you felt. A hundred percent. That is exactly what happened. And the fact that I was invisible and nobody else could see it made it so much worse um, because I didn't, I didn't believe it. So what ended up happening at that was, that was another defining moment, this faith crisis that I uh, would have gladly gotten out of at any point in my life. It was so unbelievably painful. It was the biggest, that was the, the apex of the biggest struggle of my life was that faith crisis because of how devout I was in my faith and how much I love the Lord. But at that point I said, I am not picking up the shame anymore. Like I am not, I saw so clearly in that 80 page notebook, cover to cover, wrote out my life story. I saw how every decision I was making was based out of, I am not good enough. Mm -hmm. I am, of of course I mess up. I'm not good enough. Um, And the decisions I was making and, and going to school and graduating high school early and getting married and having kids, they were so based in shame that I was trying to do the right thing so I could be good. And because this would, this is what the Lord says to do. And it, it, it was just all steeped in shame. And so I decided not to pick that up. And I, it had, this had nothing to do. Um, this decision was not so that I would get better from binge eating disorder. This decision was out of realizing how sad it was that little Carrie from the time she was four years old until this moment at 26 believed she was so unworthy of love and I, or, or belonging. And I was done with that. Um, it took another six months before I could really come to terms with what quote unquote done with that meant. Um, and I won't get into that here, but I did, my faith did change drastically and I no longer, anytime I would catch myself thinking that, uh, shaming myself just Mm -hmm. in my own like thoughts, if I messed up on something, Oh, Carrie, you're so stupid. Like, why would you do that? I stopped that like that 
dialogue changed and my binge eating disorder stopped. Like it yeah. did not come back. It took me months to realize that. I, I looked back and I was like, I have not had the impulse to binge one time. Yeah. And I am here four years later. And that impulse, the only time that impulse has, I've even noticed the impulse coming up. There are two occasions when I was um, around, I was just in a high emotionally uh, excited situation. And I felt like I was supposed to be doing something that I didn't feel like I could do. I was, I was operating outside of my personal limits to make other people happy. And I recognized it immediately. And I was like, nope, got to get out of this. Like I, I am never, ever going to get back into that state where I shame myself enough that I am now binging again. Right. Um, so that, I mean, four years later, I am, I am happier than I have ever been. Um, I am so much more aware of so many of my personal needs and boundaries. And I think a lot of that is the reason I struggled so heavily to connect with my family and my friends growing up is because I'm a needy person. Mm -hmm. um, Biophysiologically, I have, um, I'm extremely sensitive. And so, you know, sights and sounds and tastes and um, different experiences can overstimulate me very easily. And um, I, that was never validated as a kid. It was punished. Um, mm -hmm. If I started acting out, it was because I, um, you know, I was a kid, you've got to mature, but also I had a lot of needs that um, you know, good girls don't behave that way. And so that just further perpetuated me into this, this state of shame. And, um, and I definitely don't blame my parents. They were wonderful parents and they, they loved me to the best of their ability. But I just was this very unique little girl who had a lot of needs that uh, weren't addressed or acknowledged. And it sent me into a state of mental illness for decades that I wasn't, I wasn't even able to get help getting out of. I had to do it myself. And it, it's definitely the the hardest struggle I've ever experienced up until my faith crisis. And I am so proud of myself now. And I never thought I'd be proud of myself for anything. I thought I was worthless. Yeah. And now I am unbelievably strong and I'm standing up for myself naturally. And that's nothing I ever did before. And um, I, I put my health and my self-care first at all times. And that was hard to do because I was raised in a place where you put others first. And that is that is a hundred percent the opposite of what I do now because when I put myself first and my mental health and my self care first, I naturally become a much more loving person and I naturally want to care for others and there's no resentment behind it. Mm -hmm. It's just this normal outpouring of a healthy mind. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Just you know, from from your place of vulnerability, I think that that means a lot and. Um, you know, in just a second, I want to give you just a chance to maybe speak to someone who is listening that finds themselves dealing with um, mental challenges, be it eating disorders or be it addiction in other ways. Because I think one thing that all of those can deal with or understand is this element of shame and how much it sucks as a motivator. And we've all been there. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, we were talking earlier and I, I feel like, you know, I don't know how much weight this holds, but you know, or, or how into Enneagram you are. I'm an Enneagram three and I'm a, I'm an achiever. That's just who I am and what I do. And so for me, for the longest time, when I would hear somebody that would have struggles with mental illness or binging or, um, you know, purging or whatever, it was just, my element was just, we'll stop. You know, it's like the, like the person who has an issue with, uh, smoking cigarettes and they want to stop for someone that doesn't smoke cigarettes, the answer is easy. Just stop smoking cigarettes. Absolutely. But I don't smoke cigarettes. It's not an issue for me. Right. 
So yeah. like, like for me, you know, it, it's, it might be something completely different. So I think part of it is just me understanding that my issue is not always that there doesn't always have to be an answer and I don't always have to fix something. You know, I'm thinking of the, we were talking earlier about the lost episode. We love that show lost and about this guy Hurley who was in a mental institution because he was told he was crazy because he picked some numbers to win the lottery. And ever since he picked those numbers, his, there was bad luck that happened to him over and over and over again. And everybody kept telling him he was crazy. He ends up on this Island and he finds this lady that he seeks out and he tells him her story and she goes, yeah, you're right. I think the numbers are cursed. And he breaks down and he hugs her. Yeah. And the whole point of it was he didn't want to be fixed. He just wanted somebody to understand him. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't want to be, uh, changed. He wanted to be understood. And that has been something that I have longed to be better at is looking at someone and not trying to fix them and not trying to change them, but simply trying to understand. And I love just how, when you got to that place of no longer allowing guilt to be your core motivator, how much that changed you. And so with the time we have left for these next couple minutes, if, if there's somebody listening today that is struggling with addiction or struggling with guilt, or they have some sort of disorder and they have talked to expert after expert, person after person, and every person they talk to just tells them to get over it and they can't. What do you say to them? Wow. Um, I would say more than anything, you are not alone and you're not crazy. Um, especially if you find yourself identifying parts of your life and other people's stories, stories that aren't told all that often. If you hear those things and you get chills and you think, yes, that's me. You've given me words that I didn't know how to say before to describe my life. If you feel that, trust your gut. Um, there's great wisdom in the body and there is a, there's a power and a passion that comes with connecting to yourself non-judgmentally um, when you're not beating yourself up and you hear these stories and you believe them about yourself, trust yourself first and foremost. There is something there. You might not have it exactly right, but there is something there. And then I would say, go find support people. Absolutely tell your friends and family, but you may be really good at masking the symptoms and making yourself look like there isn't anything wrong. Like for me, I was very polite and I was very kind. That was important. I wanted to connect. And so I don't think I advocated very well for myself and I don't think I was capable of it, but I could find people who were specifically doctors and therapists. And I searched for a therapist for years before I found one that I felt really comfortable with, but the actual act of looking for a therapist or a coach, somebody who could help you, who is um, uh, not a friend or family that has a history, but can look at you and your story and help you kind of unravel it with a little bit less of an intimate personal connection. That is a, an absolute must and keep asking questions and keep looking for the answers until you're satisfied with them. Because unfortunately for me, I was not going to get told that my concerns were valid. I, in binge eating disorder, I was never, no one ever said, yeah, you have binge eating disorder. And I need, I really, really wanted that. And it wasn't until after I recovered that I could look back and confident, confidently say, yeah, I fell into every criteria there and I didn't present 
as someone who was mentally ill. And so people didn't take it. They didn't take me seriously for it. So believe, trust your gut and pursue pursue experts and people who want you to be better and who are who aren't judgmental toward you who are patient with you and who are helping you get to where you want to be it is more than possible and it is probably a lot closer than you even imagine it is especially if you've been struggling for years well thank you so much for for sharing that and adding value um if somebody wants to follow you I know you have a podcast you're on Instagram um if somebody that you know is listening to this today just really wants to kind of invite you into their community, how would they do that? Well, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Carrie LJP. Um, my podcast Carrie, is called- C-A-R-R-I-E. Yes, yes, C-A-R-R-I-E, L-J-P. My podcast is called Yeah, I Went There. It's only on um, Anchor and Spotify right now. Um, but it should be on a few. We're working on that. (laughs) We are. Um, I've also made YouTube videos for years. I'm on YouTube. Um, You could look up Carrie Simple or Carrie LJP. And I have hundreds of videos on there. Ironically, um, most of my popular videos are about minimalism and um, quieting the physical noise around me. You will see that I am a highly sensitive person. And um, I really found a tribe of people who needed the same thing. And people weren't talking about it on YouTube six years ago when I was there. So there's that. And um, I'm on a few other platforms. But those are the three that I'm that I'm most active on. And you and your husband run a business that's freaking awesome. Yeah. That you you guys build furniture, which we're going to be spending exuberance of, or like an exorbitant amount of money uh, hiring you guys to. I, our house is like the opposite. Like when you look at our place, <laughs> it's not exactly minimalist in any way. Um, but we're going to be paying you lots of money to fix our house and build custom furniture. So talk a little bit about what you guys do with that, for especially those that you know live within a three-hour radius of Lexington. Talk about what you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. So we build custom furniture. We um, bought our first home several years ago and it was very, very small. And there wasn't much furniture I could just buy online that would fit into the space. So we started building our own things and then selling them when my taste changed and I wanted to build something else. And so we kind of accidentally happened into this business. Um, It succeeded for a year before we were like, hey, there are probably like taxes we have to pay and like people we have to talk to. We, we did that and, you know, made sure everything was copacetic. And then um, a year later, we were just, just, we kept succeeding. There were other people in the area that also needed custom furniture. Um, and so the business grew and we realized we couldn't do our full-time jobs and the, the custom stuff. So we ended up going full-time a year later. And now we're a year past that and it just keeps getting busier. And um, really, we, we just create beautiful furniture and deliver it to people's homes within three hours of the area. And it's, it's just a really cool way to solve problems for people in their homes. Yeah, we've got a running list. I mean, with their bunk beds and benches and window seats and bowling alley racks and <laughs> porch swings and God only knows what else is on the list, but we're going to keep you guys busy for a long time. I'm excited so. to help you out. I'm excited for your house too. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Well, thank you so much for uh, for, for sharing and we, we appreciate it very, very much. And I think it was helpful to a lot of people today. Yeah, thank you. It's good to be here. So for everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. I hope this was helpful to you. If this was um, something that uh, encouraged you today, I encourage you to share the podcast. You can find us on all the platforms on Spotify and iTunes and uh, Anchor and all the places. 
and uh, tell somebody about it. If, if this is something that you feel like there's people in your life that really could uh, get some value added from this, uh, we really encourage you to have a, a listen to the episode and subscribe to the Chasing Better podcast. We really want to come and add value to you. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about faith. You know, Carrie talked a little about faith crisis. We're going to have an honest discussion about faith over the next couple of weeks. Uh, my wife and I are going to do a podcast together soon about setting goals and why that's important. So lots of really cool things that we're going to be adding value to you over the next couple of weeks. But until then, have a great week. Go relentlessly chase becoming the best version of you, whatever that looks like. And as always, thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great week, everybody.